20 years ago, Odyssey changed the putting game when they introduced the white hot insert. Now the most iconic, most played, and most sought after putter insert of all time is back in the new white hot OG. White Hot OG has the same mythical combination of sound, feel, and performance as the original, but with modern upgrades that are available in classic head shapes like the two ball, the rosy, and the number seven. White Hot OG, legendary then, iconic now. See the new lineup at callawaygolf.ca. Around the globe, takeout food is projected to be a $150 billion industry by 2023, with an average of three containers per meal. Stacked on top of each other, some estimates suggest those containers would be 17 times taller than Mount Everest. I'm Gabe Friedman, and this week on Down to Business, I spoke to Megan Takata Tully, who at the height of the pandemic decided she could no longer sit back and watch the mountain of plastics from takeout food accumulate. Takata Tully launched a startup called Supply, which rents stainless steel containers to restaurants for about what they pay for single-use plastic containers. It's still a very modest company based only in Toronto, but it's one of a fleet of new companies looking for a better solution to take out food than single-use plastics, which cannot be recycled and which studies show leave a trail of tiny toxic microplastics in the environment. We talked about the challenges of her endeavor and much more. As always, this interview was edited for clarity and brevity. Hey, Megan, thanks so much for coming on Down to Business. Thanks for having me. I want to talk about your company and the takeout container problem but I think maybe a good place to start is by asking about single-use plastics. What's the deal with single-use plastics? Yeah, I mean, sadly, if you think of a lot of the packaging that it ends up on, not necessarily in our waterways, but on our shores, but on those of populations that are, you know, probably sitting in more vulnerable situations and less privileged situations is that it's us in the developed country that are kind of sending trash their way. And these plastics break down into microplastics after a long, long time, end up in the bodies of of fish, uh, animals, and including ourselves. This is like the microplastics problem that basically single-use plastics wind up in a landfill and break down into these little tiny beads kind of thing? Yeah, exactly. And and I think thinking about the lifespan for a lot of this single-use packaging, for me, I, I focus in takeout and it's short in most other industries, but think of takeout, like how long do you do you actually leave food in takeout container? It's such a short amount of time and then it's just right into the waste stream. So the volume that we're building plastic waste at is just, you know, it's obviously not sustainable. Yeah, this is like a little baffling in some ways that that it's like 2021 and we're experimenting with nuclear fusion, you know, space. And yet we're still using these takeout containers that are hugely destructive to the environment. Is there any way to sort of describe the size of the problem? I think about it in terms of the industry we're in in takeout, where, for example, I'm in Toronto and every year the global takeout industry produces piles of takeout containers higher than our CN Tower landmark. Um, and that's, that's every year. You alluded to you know people building reusable rockets that can go into space and spaceships. And there's no reason we can't tackle a challenge like uh, single-use takeout containers. And so, okay, so this is something a lot of companies have been trying to address. Can you tell me a little bit about what your company is? So Supply is reusable takeout container service. We launched in 2020 in downtown Toronto. 
we've been growing steadily, but but really what we kind of see ourselves as building out is the uh, tech-enabled logistics platform to enable reusables really through all sorts of different channels. Um, and that's our goal is to kind of build the infrastructure to be able to use reusables, you know, kind of in, in any case uh, that touches food. Um, and you said tech-enabled reusables. You guys are just basically trying to get people to use steel containers instead of plastic, right? Yeah, I think the common approach to trying to solve packaging problems, and I'm not saying it's wrong, is to tackle it as a product engineering challenge. Uh-huh. What, what do you mean by that? It, by that, I mean developing products that are made out of, you know, algae or, you know, some sort of fiber, palm leaves, etc. And, you know, because you're pulling it from the earth and it's made in a certain way, kind of quote unquote biodegradable, then we call it salt. Couldn't we just use paper containers? Yeah. I mean, there's challenges. Like if you think about putting a hot Indian curry into a paper container, you're going to have different results than if you just put a sandwich in it. So, you know, there are obviously intricacies with the food you're trying to serve. There are, you know, kind of fun challenges around that. But, you know, the packaging doesn't necessarily have to be the most innovative piece of the solution, I don't think. I picture it much more as a business model challenge and how to basically how to solve for the unit economics to make it make sense of the business, but also to make sure that you're kind of designing it with the right incentives on both the restaurant side or the food vendor side and the consumer side. And so what's interesting is you decided not to go down that product engineering route but you're actually in some ways doing something harder, which is trying to get people to change their behavior and, you know, to get them to stop using single use takeout containers and get restaurants and people to buy into this system whereby you distribute a network of stainless steel containers that people can sort of opt into when they get takeout. What has that challenge been like so far? You know what? It's interesting because I think consumers and restaurants actually have been, no pun intended, but hungry for this change. Um, I pitched this during the height of COVID to some people and some thought I was crazy, but a lot of people were incredibly supportive. And the number of notes we get from customers saying things like, for example, oh, I, I, I thought I didn't like takeout, but it turns out I didn't like the containers that they were in, or I had stopped ordering takeout, but I really wanted to support local. Now I'll do that. Thank you. I've been waiting for this for like years. So yeah, obviously habits. And I think like what, what we get used to, obviously we need to be cognizant of and take things step by step in terms of behavior change. But I think the willingness to go the extra mile to kind of learn this process and, and get supply up and running and get it to a point where it's ready for broad scale has been honestly incredible. You called it like a tech-enabled platform. How does it actually work? You have stainless steel containers. You have restaurants that use them. Yeah, exactly. We basically, we rent our containers to restaurants and really try and price competitive to what they're paying on the single-use front. Customers sign up for an account through our website. And when they go to place their orders, currently they can place it through Walk-in Call and, and any other food app. But we're developing our own channel so that people can place orders through Supplies website as opposed to going to kind of all these other disparate platforms. And when they place their order, a small fee gets added to their bill and the containers uh, go out with their meal in them. 
we ask people to rinse and, and return within a week and uh, can drop off their containers at any one of our 30 plus now drop off locations in the downtown Toronto East End. And then we take them all to be essentially cleaned and sanitized. So they're kind of ready to go back into the system. So 30 plus drop off stations. What's like a drop off station look like? Yeah. So mission aligned coffee shop, grocers, some of our restaurant partners, we always offer for them if they want the extra foot traffic, put a drop off bin in their spot. And then we do have some on private properties, just kind of outdoors. It was COVID, not everyone was comfortable going inside. And so these allow for kind of outdoor options and that are kind of accessible 24 seven. Yeah. You've said that you grew inspired to start your company by the Tiffin lunch system in India. Could you tell that story? Yeah, of course. So about a decade ago, I was in a meeting and one of our managers showed this documentary on the Tiffin lunch system in India. And definitely my takeaway was not supposed to be you should go start (laughs) an equivalent in Toronto. But I was super inspired and intrigued. And it just, you know, kind of a light bulb went off. I just basically a system whereby homemade lunches are cooked and provided by a number of different vendors and are basically picked up by, think of them as equivalent of couriers, taken to uh, predominantly office buildings for people to eat their lunch. And then they're picked up and returned back for cleaning and for restocking the next day. It's an amazing, complex system that they've put together, but it functions really well. And it's a very, very popular scaled system. And so I just thought, you know what, there's no reason we can't do that here. We just need to be a bit creative on, on how we design the model. And what was the hardest thing to do to, when you tried to replicate it? Yeah, I mean, I think all of the above. Um, I mean, I haven't a, a Tiffin lunch program in India, but definitely labor costs play into it heavily. When you're essentially a, a logistics platform, obviously the, the cost of delivery, which is heavily weighted on labor, is really important. And then, yeah, I, I think, you know, the, the geographic uh, differences and, and some of the cultural differences in terms of, you know, the types of food you're putting in containers and that sort of thing, you obviously have to design to be able to fit, you know, here, different types of food. In Toronto, we're very lucky. We're so multicultural, which means we have a ton of different types of food. But that also means maybe our containers are a little less standardized than they might otherwise be. So yeah, just thinking about some of the nuances of kind of those cases. Yeah, it's an interesting logistical challenge. Do you see your company going to the kind of sprawling suburbs and the more spread out places in Canada? I think for us, the next step is we're we're still working through a few last pieces to really make sure that we get the business model right, that we get it in a good spot. Customers are happy. Restaurants are really happy. Um, and then we'll look to scale over the next year throughout Toronto, Toronto proper. We would definitely at that point be building out the blueprint to scale into other cities and whether that's other cities in Canada, other cities outside of Canada or kind of smaller cities, you know, in GTA area, greater Toronto area. Speaking right now, I think we're better suited probably for denser populated areas, but I'd never like to say never. There's always room for creativity. Yeah. You said you started this during COVID and people thought you were crazy. Can you tell me at all about sort of the decision of starting a business during COVID, tackling a challenge like this, how it happened, how you came about making this decision? Yeah. You know what? I had gotten the entrepreneurial bug quite a while ago. Yeah, I worked in finance. And then the last five and a half years, I spent working with amazing innovators all over the world to basically develop business models to tackle social challenges. That was at an organization called Grand Challenges Canada. Uh, Yeah, one of the biggest impact investors in Canada. And so, I mean, that was obviously incredibly inspiring. But I also found that being on the investment side, 
even with working with startups, I still had that desire to start my own company. And this had been something that was on my mind for quite some time. And selfishly, it just, it really bothered me. And I, I kind of had a view to how I might design the solution. And I would have felt pretty complacent if I had this design in my mind, I didn't act upon it. And we continued to produce just mountains and mountains and mountains of garbage. How was the risk part of it, though? Like, I mean, it probably required some capital of your own. It probably required giving up a steady income, longer hours, all those kinds of things. Yes, all of the above. Yeah, I mean, I I don't think entrepreneurship is for those that are super risk averse, for sure. For me, I like to take calculated challenges. So I still view this as a calculated risk. And, you know, I think definitely for us, myself and my co-founder, we've bootstrapped it and then are just kind of in the process of closing our first initial funding round. Definitely, it's long hours, (laughs) no pay, but, you know, you have to be really socially driven or mission driven to, to kind of keep focused and keep the foot on the pedal. So this is a philosophical question about what you see happening next. When you look at like a plastic bag problem and single use plastics, what what do you see? Like, are you optimistic? Do you see this sort of all going away in what kind of a time frame? Yeah, I think consumers are getting smarter. I think we're educating ourselves more. I think we're talking about things more. And I think we care more about what is going on with, with our planet and on our planet. You know, obviously, there have been a ton of, sadly, you know, wildfires, natural disasters, etc., that relate heavily to climate change. And I think all of this is part of it and the pollution we put into our systems. And so I'm pretty optimistic about this. I Again, like it's not just going to happen because a government institutes regulation and it's not just going to happen because a few people talk about it, but it has to be, you know, it really does have to be a, a movement and come from a number of different angles. And I think that also means that businesses, large and small, like myself, need to support and provide solutions for the movement as well. It's great to have you on the show. And I really appreciate you talking with us about this issue and your company. Thanks. Thanks so much for having me. That was Megan Takata Tully, founder and chief executive of Supply. Thank you for tuning in and listening to the show. As always, we appreciate it when you share our episodes or give us any feedback. And thanks to the team behind Down to Business, including Bryce Hall for his original music and production, Yudula Hussein for editing, and Pamela Heaven for web support. I'm Gabe Friedman, and I'll be back next week. But until then, find all your business news at financialpost.com or any of our five weekly newsletters covering finance, energy, the economy, workplace, and investing.